This is part three of my Diagnostics Digest with Dennis Merkler, CEO and Head of Biofarm Business Development at Predison. Here we discussed his role at Predison and gained some insight into technologies in the current market. If you are interested in gaining insight from an industry leader in the world of liquid biopsy, then be sure to have a listen. Here it is. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously key technologies in the market now, and I think that's what I want to focus on as maybe the final part of, of this podcast really is speaking a little bit through the reasons why you joined Predison, a very young company developing that they're a great team from going out and meeting them. They've got kind of a, a great chemistry. I mean, what is it about the Predison technology which makes them stand out? Because there's a lot of young companies in this space. So yeah, what is it about Predison? And I guess what are they developing, which is going to be really interesting? Great question. And the first thing is really our, our mission. And, and that's where I was like, just really inspired immediately speaking to the senior leadership and the founders of Predison. So the call to action, really, we want to bring the best hospitals to every home globally. Yeah. Right. And so maybe I'm a bit biased because I'm, as I'm running in the woods every morning, I'm currently listening to an audio book called Built to Last. And one of the chapters really struck me and it's really about legendary companies versus equivalent companies in the space that definitely lasted for hundreds of years and they're still on market and they're doing great, but they're not really considered legendary companies like, you know, like Merck, like Johnson and Johnson, like Walmart, you name it, right? There's certain companies that have just transcended time and space. And often what that is, is just an overwhelming sense of purpose over specific product and, pro and profitability. So let's not beat around the bush. Every company is on market to make money. That's not the question, but a lot of companies only focus on profit. And then there's companies who focus on purpose. And at Predison, purpose drives everything we do. We really want to bring the best standard of care into every village, into every living room. So that was the first reason. The second is the technology. And I talked about this a bit earlier in the podcast is really the copy number variation. Yeah. I mean, gene loss and gene gain are such a fundamental part in oncology. And again, a real unmet need in liquid biopsy technologies. So that's just kind of one very technical factor I think another area that's really been overlooked, and again, I alluded to this earlier in the podcast, is a lot of liquid biopsy is very blood-based, and rightfully so. I mean, it's really got the, the highest level of clinical validation to date is liquid biopsy from blood plasma, cell-free DNA from blood plasma. But there's a lot of cancer indications that shed DNA into the urine, for example, and that's a huge focus for Predison. And we have really exciting results. I would invite any, anyone who's really interested who's listening to this just to go to predison.com and check out our webinars. You can watch those online. Um, just from a few weeks ago at ASCO GU in San Francisco, 2022, um, we had five abstracts there and just some really exciting results for minimal residual disease detection and just general mutation detection and how that correlates to tissue-based mutation detection from urine. So I think this is an underserviced area because bladder cancer, renal cancer, prostate cancer, 
even cervical cancer, testicular cancer, all these kind of GU type cancers shed a lot of DNA into the urinary tract. And I just feel this has been an underserviced uh, market need for a lot of for a lot of companies. If you look at a lot of our contemporaries; they're hundred percent focused on blood, and I, I don't know that many that many companies are really looking into the urine. Well, there's one thing I noticed as well is, is in terms of the benefits of investigating the RNA alongside the DNA as well. Great point. Um, is is there anything to add there? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's something you'll hear, right? RNA is a single stranded nucleic acid. DNA is double stranded, usually wrapped around nucleosomes. DNA is fairly well protected. And you have these, you know, it's fragmented, but it's around 150 base pairs. And RNA just gets really chewed up. So you'll hear a lot of people just tell you, well, RNA is just inherently more unstable, not a great entity to be interrogating. But you know, think about it again. We talked earlier in the podcast, you get a copy from mama, you get a copy from papa. So you'll have two copies of a gene on the DNA level in a normal cell, but you could have hundreds to thousands of copies of the mRNA. So at some point, there's kind of a, a balancing effect, if you will, that, you know, sure, RNA gets more degraded, but there's a whole lot more of it. Um, and so that is something we actually have available is our cell-free RNA assay. It's currently research use only, but you know the results that we've seen are, are quite outstanding. And I think anyone who's listening to this who's in the world of oncology knows about you know gene fusion events in oncology, knows that there's usually kind of a fixed kinase domain from one gene that fuses to all kinds of different promoter regions from other genes. And it seems like every week we find a new fusion partner. Um, and on the RNA level, that's just so much more robust. These fusion events on the DNA level can be um, defined by a whole host of different single nucleotide variations, indels, etc. So they can be a lot more complex to detect on the DNA level, whereas on the RNA level, you're just really looking for a breakpoint, uh, you know, a kinase domain and a driver gene. Uh, fused to some promoter region of another gene. So that's a lot more robust. And then I guess the final thing I would add that really, that I find really sets Predison apart, and it, it's a pretty new technology. So stay tuned. We call it Beacon. It's our molecular, uh, or sorry, minimal residual disease, molecular minimal residual disease detection system. And, you know, there's a number of ways one can do this. One can use a fixed panel and really just kind of try to look for a defined set of mutations. Again, unfortunately, your shots on goal are going to be pretty limited because you have to expect that that patient's tumor has those mutations that are on your predefined panel. So in general, the sensitivity of those predefined panels is just not so robust for minimal residual disease detection. The other way to do it is really to create a patient-specific panel. And that's what you see a lot of companies doing, Natera, Innovata, Invitae, et cetera. And that's also what Predison does. So we can go up to 50 unique variants. But how do you detect those variants, I guess, is the question. And what's kind of happening in the field is you need the tumor tissue and you run a whole exome. And then you select unique variants from that patient's tumor and you create a custom-made 
individualized liquid biopsy panel for that patient. Predison's found a way to do that whole exome sequencing from liquid biopsy, so from blood or urine. So we're actually not dependent on having the tumor tissue. And that's really huge for a lot of cancer patients. That tumor tissue is just no longer there, no longer available, can't be located, insufficient quality, insufficient quantity. So again, if you can just draw blood or collect urine, and again, run that whole exome and select unique variants and build that individualized panel. It's a real game changer. And again, I would encourage anyone just to go to predison.com and check out our webcast from ASCO GU. There's some just really exciting results along those lines in, in bladder cancer from urine. Yeah. I mean, I watched one of the webinars. I think Predison put that up on their LinkedIn as well. It gives great insight, but also it's not all about kind of Predison. It's more about the future as well. And I think that is, that is the key here is, is you mentioned the mission, taking hospitals to patients. That, that is what a lot of companies are striving for, but I can, we can kind of vouch for Predison as well. And they, are, they obviously have a lot of exciting plans right now. The, the global expansion, obviously you were their first ever European hire. Right. <laughs> And I think if you look at them in the next 12 months and even the global liquid biopsy market, it'd be great to get some final thoughts on firstly, what you feel the future is going to hold in the market in general and how you see maybe Predison fitting into that. That'd be a great way to end the podcast. Yeah. Awesome. So for sure. I mean, you know, we see ourselves as a global company. We're young, but we're not small. And a lot of people always say, oh, we're just a startup. We're a small company. But we, we know we are actually in our brains where the we're the big tigers, right? And while we are young, I mean, we have lab presence in in the US, in China. We're building up our capabilities in Europe. Um, you know, we plan to be present in every major market, both with centralized testing via central labs and kitted solutions. So stay tuned for that. That's like Predison's future. You know, the other thing is really driving down the cost of these tests. Yeah. We understand it is not sustainable to test every cancer patient multiple times for 3,000 to test. We need to get these tests down into the hundreds of, of dollars per test. And that is, you know, when I, what, what do they call it? A, a big, hairy, aspirational goal. <laughs> I was going to ask, is my final question? Is that the... Yeah, the bag, the bog, the, the big, hairy, aspirational goal is to just really make these tests cost-effective and drive down the price and accessible to everyone. So that's really what the future holds is you will get multiple tests. You know, I think genomics in general, and, and that's why you see Illumina and, and any sequencing company doing so well. We are still only scratching the, uh, the, the tip of the iceberg when it comes to mass genomic information, right? I mean, and I'm so sorry to be so cliche, you know what, the, the Human Genome Project took like 10 years, 10 billion, <laughs> 10 billion dollars. And now we can do a genome in one day for less than a thousand, right? That trend's going to continue. And once it's getting down into the hundreds of dollars, it just opens up a whole new avenue of data generation. You're going to get sampled anytime you're sick, probably the day you're born, throughout your life as part of a regular health checkup. You know, the massive amounts of data, the terabytes and terabytes of data generated from it, the data mining, the AI behind all this, it's daunting, but it's really going to usher in a new era of, of medicine 
both understanding how diseases evolve, early detection of diseases, and again, adapting therapies during the patient journey where, you know, I'm hopeful that it doesn't, you know, again, if you look back in the seventies, cancer was a death sentence. You got chemo and then most patients died, unfortunately. Then as we moved in the nineties, two thousands, we had targeted therapies. And even today we kind of talk about line one, line two, and line three. Yeah. Well, what about line four and line five and line six and line seven? And, and we're seeing that now, you know, there's really good examples in the literature, colorectal cancer being one of them. If you are RAS wild type and you get an anti-EGFR therapy in first line, some of those patients will progress with developing RAS mutations. And again, it's not like they're necessarily de novo developing RAS mutations. It's usually a clonal expansion of a subset of cells that already had that RAS mutation in the primary tumor. So the drug really killed the RAS wild type and now the RAS mutants flourish. So if in second line, you take away that anti-EGFR therapy, maybe you add chemo and anti-VEGF, for example. Often in a subset of these patients, their phenotype will switch back to RAS wild type, which is fascinating because then in third line, you can just give them the first line yeah. therapy again. And so what if we see a future where we are constantly monitoring disease and getting ahead of the molecular mechanisms of recurrence, tailoring the therapy to those recurrence mechanisms, and instead of patients dying in five to 10 years, you know, they still may have disease, but what if they're living 30, 40 years and we're just tailoring the therapy? Um, obviously, curing would be ideal but it's a tricky disease and it's not always possible. But as a father of four, I would definitely uh, prefer 30 years of my kids over five. Yeah, definitely. And I think that is a great way to end it is that is kind of the bottom line, isn't it? Is how can we give our loved ones or whoever that might be a bit longer? Absolutely. And it's great to know there's so many young developing companies who really do care passionately about this as well. And I think that's the best thing about working in, in firstly diagnostics market, but also more specifically the oncology side. Um, and, and hopefully we're just going to see more and more advancements of, of young companies uh, like Predison, who would, the mission is so important for the patient. And, and that's, that's key. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me, Adam. It's been a pleasure talking. So thank you so much for, for taking time. So that was the final part of my Diagnostics Digest with Dennis Merkler, CEO of Europe and Global Head of Biopharma Business Development at Predison. I hope anybody who tuned in to this three-part podcast could gain as much valuable insight as I did. If you're interested in discussing the IVD market in some more detail, then feel free to drop me a message. Thanks again for listening. I've been your host, Adam Hargreaves. Bye for now.